0: Happy Monday, Liberty Kitty Cats, and to the full-grown Lions of Liberty out there. And you know what the Libertarian Party needs more of? It needs more... Lions of Liberty. It needs more passionate libertarians who are willing to boldly roar about these ideas of liberty. So you know what? This is indeed a call to action to the Lions of Liberty out there. If you want to affect how the libertarian message is presented politically in 2020, there's only one way to do so, and that is to get involved with the Libertarian Party. You can join the Libertarian Party through our affiliate link at lp.org slash Lions of Liberty. The awesome part about that is not only do you get to be involved, with the Libertarian Party and affect how that message comes out next year, but you also get to support your favorite Libertarian podcast at the same time. What a win-win. Somewhat ironic, perhaps, that I'm making this call out in an episode where my guest actually has pursued a different path than the Libertarian Party, but we'll be talking about that a little bit later in the show, which, of course, is episode number 424 of this Lions of Liberty podcast, which means you can find today's show notes over at lionsofliberty.com slash 424. Enjoy the show, kids. today is making his second appearance on this program he is a former state senator in the state of maine he has, in the past been endorsed by both ron and rand paul when he ran for u.s senate he is now currently a candidate for u.s congress hoping to become another one of the very few libertarian voices who hold federal office very pleased to welcome back eric brakey eric are you ready to roar i'm ready mark excellent excellent and and you better be ready because you're out there (laughs) roaring every single day uh trying to convince your fellow citizens of maine that you would be a good person to send to u.s congress and we'll get into more of that in just a minute but uh you were on the show uh was about 150 something episodes ago that number's probably off uh but but, uh back when you were on that show you know the show is always growing uh we did do a deep dive then into how you became a libertarian but uh for those that might have missed that episode or might have come on since that time why don't you just do the the cliff Notes version of what brought Eric Brakey to the ideas of liberty.
1: Well, it really was in 2010 the Tea Party wave. I I um, I'm ashamed to say when I was younger in high school and all that, oh, I
0: come on, you're younger than me. Don't give me when I was younger. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm 31 now. I guess some say that's still still pretty young. But uh but yeah, no, I I I believed in the wars and the Iraq and you know the invasions and all that. Believed in the whole line of we were spreading democracy and, and it wasn't until 2010 and the Tea Party wave, uh, my, uh, actually my oldest brother got a copy of Ron Paul's revolution in my hands and I, and I read it and other things going on in the Tea Party movement. I just realized that, uh, we were being deceived that, uh, that it wasn't just the Democrat party that was screwing us over. It was the establishment Republicans too. Uh, and, and that if, if we really believe in And truly, honestly, believe in limited government, that there's no magical fairy dust that we sprinkle over the Department of Defense that makes it anything other than a government bureaucracy. If we're for limited constitutional government, it needs to apply along the board, across the board. So Ron Paul was my uh, – Ron Paul was why I'm here. I I heard his message. I, I got involved just as a grassroots person trying to make a difference ended up joining the Ron Paul campaign in 2012 as a staffer, became the state director for the state of Maine. Maine was one of the few states where we won. Uh, We won the delegates to the national convention. I was actually a delegate to the national convention but of course, if some folks remember their Ron Paul history, that was the year when the uh, the Mitt Romney folks kicked a bunch of Maine delegates out and replaced us with uh, Mitt Romney supporters.
0: There were some con- convenient rule changes at the last minute, that, that t- <laughs> t- which is really crazy when I think about that, because Romney had the thing wrapped up. The only reason to do this stuff was, I guess, just to, to not be hassled by you guys at the convention.
1: Yeah, my understanding, there was a particular guy named Ben Ginsberg, who was the uh, Mitt Romney convention lawyer. He was sent up to Maine to the convention to be the fixer, like to make sure that Mitt Romney won that convention and when we kicked his butt uh, I think he never quite got over it (laughs) and so he uh, I think part of this was Ben Ginsburg having an axe to grind and I think it really hurt Mitt Romney's campaign in the end of course when you look at the margin that Mitt Romney lost by it's the you know in the general election it was a less than the margin of people who voted for Ron Paul in the primary so Mm. perhaps uh, perhaps he shouldn't have uh, kicked us while we were down
0: things to keep in mind. Uh, now, Eric, you mentioned there that, you know, you, you kind of realized that it, it was the establishment of, of both parties that were really the enemy. So, uh, as you know, of course, libertarians have many different opinions on, on how to approach politics. Why did you decide that your best approach would be to sort of, uh, I guess, join the establishment, Sort not not that I'm calling you establishment, but, <laughs> but join that party and sort of try to battle the establishment from within as opposed to either, you know, trying to run as a third party or an independent. Why did you choose the path of sort of battling within the Republican Party?
1: I think for the same reason that Ron Paul ran for Congress and ran for president as a Republican. It's because ultimately the rules are fixed. The rules are, are written by the two party system and it's very difficult to, you know, to to make a difference if you're trying to be a third party or an independent candidate. The rules aren't written to make that very easy and possible. So uh, for me I've had tremendous success. You know, I, I ran for state senate in two thousand and fourteen I ran in a Democrat-leaning district against an entrenched incumbent uh, as a Republican, and I trounced him. I won by 18 points in a landslide. As a Republican in the state Senate, I kept to my liberty principles, and I passed constitutional carry, reformed welfare, passed right to try for health care freedoms of terminally ill patients who are um, – uh, there, there may be an experimental light, medication out there that could save their lives, but the FDA says that ha- they haven't approved it yet. And we pass right to try so that people can – you don't need to listen to the FDA. You can make your own choices as you try to save your own life. I've got a lot of things done as a Republican. But, of course, at the end of the day, I don't care about Republican or Democrat. I care about freedom and liberty. And um, it's just that the Republican Party has been the most effective vehicle to get where I want to go, which is to make liberty win. And if the Republican Party ever stopped being an effective vehicle, well, maybe I would consider looking for a different vehicle. Just the same as if my car stopped working, I would get a different car. <laughs> but it's about making liberty win. And so far, for me, the Republican Party has been uh, an effective vehicle to make that happen.
0: So uh, to, to further the analogy, you might drive your car as long as it works. And even if it starts to have a, a, you know, a few engine troubles, but uh, if you have to actually get out and start pushing at that point, you know, maybe it's time to get
1: a new car. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Exactly,
0: uh, Eric. You mentioned uh, how you did run for Senate last time um, to uh, for the U.S. Senate, and uh, you were not successful in that effort—at least not by the traditional political measures. Uh, but and I believe we often learn a lot more from our you know quote-unquote losses than we do from the easy wins in life. So I'm I'm kind of curious: what did you learn from taking the uh, the political loss in that ca- campaign? I'm sure you can uh, come up with a lot of wins on your own.
1: Well, of course, when I w- won the state Senate race. I won that by knocking on every door on the in the district. Mm-hmm. I knocked on eight thousand doors, and
0: that's got to be hard because you are not in a small district. You, I mean, it might be small uh, people wise compared to a lot of districts, but uh, geography wise, that uh, knocking on those doors that's a, that's a lot of walking or a lot of oh, driving. <laughs> it, it
1: takes it takes a lot of time. It was like a full time job knocking on doors and meeting voters, and of course uh that was that was nice for a state senate district but you can't knock on every door in a US senate district right. <laughs> you know when you're running for the whole state yeah. now that was it was a big uh, that US senate race it was a, it was i knew it was a david versus goliath battle i was going to up against a guy who was a former two term governor who had uh was an incumbent US senator who was frankly you know ranked as one of the most popular US senators in the country uh and uh and but he's a big government guy. <laughs> he's for big government at home and big government abroad, fighting wars that never end and, and, and spending more money on growing the surveillance state here at home, growing the welfare state. And I figure what a, what a better antidote versus someone who believes in big government for everything than someone who believes in our constitution and believes in limited government and getting government out of our lives, out of our pocketbooks and out of Afghanistan. So, um, so that, so that was uh, that was that campaign. And, even with it being an uphill climb, even with it being the biggest blue wave that hit Maine in a generation, our message still resonated very strongly. I performed better against him than any person who's ever challenged him in his many years of elected office. Uh, in fact, I got the same percentage of the vote that he got when he won the governorship, the oh, first wow. go around. Um, so I'm, I'm very happy with with how it turned out. Of course, I would have Preferred it if we had won, and I'd been in the U.S. Senate now, fighting for our freedoms and liberties there. Um, But that U.S. Senate race it really positioned me very well for this campaign for Congress that we've launched. Uh, I we uh, launched just about three weeks ago. We've been in a with tremendous grassroots support because of the U.S. Senate campaign. People know who I am. Uh, We've got strong um, strong support, strong grassroots support. Fundraising's been solid. And here's the best thing about this congressional district. Um, this congressional district, Maine has two congressional districts. There's the first district, which is where the socialists live in Southern Maine around Portland. Uh, and then there's the second district where I'm running, which is about 90% of the geography of the state. It's the biggest congressional district East of the Mississippi. That's where the bears and the moose live. And it's, it's, (laughs) and they don't get to vote sadly. They don't get to vote, but the people who live there are the kinds of people who have still very much a frontier attitude, mm-hmm. want the government to leave us alone, get out of our lives. This is a district that Trump carried by 10 points. In fact, for four years, it was the only Republican congressional district in all of New England. And um, uh, last year in the blue wave, a, a Democrat won and, and took out the Republican incumbent by a, by a very slim margin, by a single percentage point. With Trump on the ballot, with the huge Republican turnout effort that we're going to see in Maine's second district this go around, this is a huge opportunity for the liberty movement. In fact, it's the best opportunity we've had to win a seat in Congress since we elected Thomas Massey in 2012. So it's been seven years since we've gotten a new liberty champion elected to Congress since we got Thomas Massey there. This is our best opportunity. I'm going for it. I really appreciate having the support of Thomas Massey and Ron Paul and so many others. And I certainly welcome the support of any Lions of Liberty out there who'd like to see another, uh, another champion of liberty roaring uh, in, the, in the U.S. Congress. Well,
0: I'm curious how your campaign is going in terms of just within the Republican Party in Maine itself. Uh, do you find that you're pretty welcomed by, you know, fellow Republicans that are are they encouraging you to, to you know, sort of be to the candidate or are you facing any opposition? Do you have any primary challengers waiting in the wings? What's the scenario there?
1: I have tremendous grassroots support within the party. Of course, when it comes to the establishment of the party the establishment and I have never really gotten along, <laughs> and the establishment is, is lining up behind uh, uh, some of my primary opponents there. But we're going into this a strong front runner because of uh, my uh, name recognition from the u s. Senate race, from the fundraising we've already done. we We're on a very strong path. We've already raised over three hundred thousand dollars for this race, and we're moving forward strong. And we've got the message, we've got the fundraising, and most importantly, we've got the people. We've got the grassroots. That's how we won Maine for Ron Paul in 2012 with the grassroots, and that's how we're going to win this seat in Congress with, with real people who may not be the party bigwigs but, but are people who get out and vote, people who get out and volunteer, people who donate and chip in $5, $25, $50, whatever they're able to. That's how we make a difference. That's how we win.
0: Hold your horses, kitty cats. I have to jump in here for one second and tell you about another great libertarian podcast. And this one is not your typical podcast. This one doesn't really focus so much on the ideas of liberty, but on music. And who doesn't love music in some form or another? I guess some people don't, but who really wants to know those people anyway? Let's be honest. Anyway, the show is aptly titled Sounds Like Liberty. Sounds Like Liberty is hosted by Liberty's favorite nerdy husband, Nick Picone and his wife, Lizzie. They speak to guests every single week to find out who has the best music taste here in Ancapistan. And uh, the Lions of Liberty have actually been on the show, at least a good number of us. Myself, uh, Brian McWilliams, and Howie Snowden have all been on Sounds Like Liberty. We're still waiting for the John Odermatt episode, but uh, we're not actually sure if John listens to music because we already know he doesn't watch movies. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and go on over to ancapmusic.com and check out Sounds Like Liberty, or just search Sounds Like Liberty on your favorite podcatcher. That's all I do. I I stick completely to the podcatchers, but Sounds Like Liberty is an excellent show and really does a great job of merging culture, music, and liberty together. I highly recommend this program. If that wasn't enough, the show is co-hosted by an African-American female ANCAP. I mean, what, what more could you ask for? And by the way, Nick did tell me to say that in the ads. (laughs) Do check out Sounds Like Liberty. Go to ancapmusic.com right now to learn more. As you mentioned, this is a a largely sort of already Republican district. There's probably a good chance that if you do emerge as as the, uh, you know, the, 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 the candidate for the party, that you will uh, be the victor. But I'm kind of curious, uh, along your way of campaigning and talking about these ideas, as someone who's coming at things from sort of a more philosophical libertarian perspective, are there any issues where you kind of you know get some uh, some pushback from your consist- constituency or, or anything like that? Or are there certain subjects that you find are more difficult to talk to with even a traditional, re- traditional Republican base as someone who comes at it from the ideas of individual rights?
1: Um, you know, I, I think that people largely respect that even if they disagree with me on something, they they know where I stand. And I think the Republican base, people may disagree with me on certain things. Like, for example, I was very you know vocal and supportive of the legalization of cannabis in the state of Maine, which it's now legal in the state of Maine. And I was the only Republican state senator to publicly support that. Uh, and some people may disagree with me on that, but they respect and they know that I've been because I, I keep to my principles of liberty and limited government, and I've been the only one, i have fiercely fighting for our gun rights, for welfare reform, for so many other issues that they care about. Sometimes people look at it, yeah, I don't agree with it, uh, you know him on marijuana, but he's so good on so many other things they're willing to look past it. But I will say beyond that, I'm excited that right now I feel like in the Republican Party, and I, I have to give a lot of credit to President Trump over this. We are finally in a place where we're ready to have a conversation about the wars. We're finally ready to look at what we put our soldiers through these last 20 years, what we've asked them to endure. And we're finally ready to have a conversation about bringing our troops home from Afghanistan, from Syria, from all of these conflicts where some, of the, some, de- some declared, some never declared. Um, we're finally ready to have a conversation about that. And that's something I'm planning to really lead the conversation on this campaign for Congress. And I'll tell you what, I hear from so many veterans, people who come home from these wars, who are, who are ready to have this conversation. It is so frustrating. All these people, every two years, people get up there, candidates get up there and say, I support our troops. I stand with our troops. Yeah, but they don't even listen to them. Our troops say it's time to come home and we need people who are going to get up there and fight for that.
0: Do you find that foreign policy and bringing the subject of uh, of our imperial, unconstitutional wars up to your constituency is that a subject that you find people on the ground are are already interested in? Are they already passionate about this, or is it something where you kind of have to bring up the subject and say, "Look, look at all this money we're spending on these wars. Look at all the the terrible results that happen." Uh, how does that, how do you find that conversation sort of playing
1: out? I think, sadly, for a lot of people, uh, because of um, it's just. It's been going on for, for two decades now. It's just kind of like background noise. People have just gotten used to the idea that we're in wars forever. But for our soldiers, for our veterans, it's very personal. Our soldiers and veterans care about it very deeply. In Maine, we, we have uh, one of the highest uh, um, uh, rate of, 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 of veterans per capita in the country. One out of every 10 Maine people is veteran, uh, And it's especially pronounced in the 2nd Congressional District. So, uh, you know, when, I, when I'm talking about these issues, I find that the, the biggest and most positive response I get from get from people is from veterans themselves. You know,
0: uh, another issue that that President Trump has certainly pushed the conversation on, uh, regardless of where you come down on it, there's no doubt he has brought the issue to the forefront. And that's the subject of immigration. And I think this is a subject that even libertarians uh, often differ on a little bit, uh, at least in applying it to our modern day. Uh, How do you view that conversation when it comes to uh, sort of, you know, coordinating your libertarian beliefs uh, along with sort of what you know what a lot of your constituency might believe uh, you know when it comes to immigrants when it comes to seeing immigrants as people that might be quote-unquote taking their jobs or harming them economically how do you approach that conversation and how do you think that president trump's approach to the immigration issue has has moved the dialogue in, in whatever way it has
1: you know i'll say i think someone in the libertarian community who is um uh i think really been great at, at having a discussion about the conflicting, the conflicting values in the immigration debate from a libertarian perspective has been Dave Smith on his, not to advertise a competing podcast. Oh, that's all right. We're, his, we're friends with
0: Dave. It's okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but his, uh, his podcast, part of the, part of the problem. I listen to him quite a bit and I think that, you know, he brings up some of the difficult kind of nuanced things you know, when people, when individuals are coming to our country, you know, ille- uh, illegally or, or, or legally, it's potentially, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't, it can be a violation of the non aggression principle, right? If people are coming here and they're getting on the welfare rolls, if they're coming here and collecting more, you know, taxpayer funded services, if they're coming here and voting in our elections and voting for more big government. um
0: Do you think that's, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it, do, I'm just kind of curious, like, do you view it as a violation, a potential violation anyway of the non aggression principle because they're, illegal immigrants or would you view that any differently just if a native also votes to uh, to extract money via taxation or someone who's born here does the exact same thing do you, do you see any difference there
1: i would say yeah it, it would certainly be a violation of the non-aggression principle for anyone to vote <laughs> to steal money from other people all right now
0: you're reaching out to the uh, anarchists <laughs>
1: <laughs> so well of course and so i'm not against voting i'm not against participating in our government obviously i'm i do both of those things right uh but but you know I'm always advocating for doing less stealing <laughs> and 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 um, and having a government if we're going to have government to have government that uh, you know steals less from us and tells and doesn't try to boss us around and tell us what to do. So when we look at the immigration debate, you know I I do believe that under the current system that we have, where we have a welfare state, you know we could. There are a few ways we could tackle it, but assuming that the welfare state isn't going anywhere tomorrow, I do think that we need to have some kind of border security, and we do need to have some kind of a legal immigration process thats um, that doesn't just allow anyone and everyone to come here and sign up for free taxpayer money.
0: I don't want to get you know too bogged down on, on this one issue, but I'm just curious like h- how you view sort of our current immigration system as opposed to what your ideal might be. I mean, do you think that we kind of it's OK as it is now and maybe just needs better security and, and, you know, or do you actually think we should have maybe just more legal immigration and sort of more of a crackdown on how illegal immigrants may or may not be able to access you know welfare benefits and that sort of thing?
1: I think that we need to one, we do need to look at, at security, but we uh, and, and on top of that, we got to have a we, we have to once we've, sec- once, once we've done the best we can to secure the border, we need to look at how we can reform the immigration system to allow for legal immigration in a way that makes sense and benefits both those who are coming here and the American people. Uh, I know President Trump has talked about moving more towards a merit-based immigration system. I think that there is potentially some worthwhile conversation to have there. You know, if someone is coming here because they are pursuing the American dream they want to work and contribute and, uh, and earn their way, then I think that that's wonderful. That's something to be celebrated. And I think that if we can get an immigration system that's in alignment with that, I think that that's great. You know, but the, the, the Statue of Liberty, what is the, the, the saying on there? Give us, give us your, your poor, your tired, your huddled masses, yearning for free health care. Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the last part, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but... But sadly, I think that's what our immigration system has become. It has become um, – people are trying to use our immigration system as a solution for the global poverty problem. And we can acknowledge that there are real global poverty problems, but our immigration system is not the answer to that. The answer to fixing global poverty is what has been going on for the last century or so. It's the advance of, of free trade, free commerce, a free enterprise, capitalism. I mean, we're seeing uh, global poverty rates decline to the lowest rates we've ever seen in human history because of the power of free markets. That's what we need to be embracing, uh, and, if, and, and, and not just this idea that we're going to allow people to come here and put them, uh, put them on the welfare rolls. Frankly, it doesn't actually work helping people in our own country get out of poverty, right. putting them on the welfare rolls, and ends up just trapping people in these cycles of, of poverty and independence
0: and th- these last couple issues we've been discussing you know foreign policy immigration uh, these are the kinds of things that really are more of a, a sort of a, a federal issue a, a federal part of the federal conversation the national conversation Than uh you know say when you're just simply running for state senate back in the day so uh, i'm curious what other sort of like challenges uh do you come upon trying to craft your message more for this sort of national office as opposed to uh the state office where you're you know only working within your community uh, and you know going to the state office uh whereas now you're going to represent your state uh you know basically or release your district uh you know in front of the whole country
1: yeah well cr- certainly there are separation of powers right in our constitution there are things that the federal government is authorized to do uh and there are things that they're not authorized to do whereas the states kind of have their own authority under the 10th amendment and and under their own individual constitutions um so <laughs> i, I I know that that seems to get lost with a lot of politicians these days who just want Washington, D.C. to fix every problem with whatever government solution they come up with. But I will say one thing that I, I, I saw and I experienced on the state level that is, is a big part of my impetus to run for federal office was everything, everything we do on the state level is tied to federal funds, federal mandates, Washington, D.C., unconstitutionally actually telling us, what to do, how to live, and what our own laws can be. We've completely lost attention of them. So on the federal level, I want to restore, I want to decentralize power again. I want to advocate for letting states be you know, their own cultures, their own setting their own laws. I mean, Maine is different than California.
0: No, I, <laughs> I think it's safe uh, to
1: say. <laughs> yeah, it's safe to say. And I don't want in Maine to tell California how you, your state has to be. Uh, and I don't want California telling us how we have to be.
0: To be honest, I, I kind of wish that uh, part of me wishes Maine could tell us how to be a little bit,
1: <laughs> but you know, that's a different <laughs> Well, <subject. laughs> well, may, well, maybe you guys, uh, frankly, uh, sometimes I wonder, I see all these efforts to break California into six different states or everything. I wonder, maybe that's, maybe that's the way you guys should go. Uh, I hear from some of the folks in Northern California who just uh, get sick and tired of it all. But um, <laughs> I will say, you know, I was, I was the Senate chairman for the Health and Human Services Committee in Maine for, for four years, and one of the biggest federal programs that I saw that was so broken, uh, uh, trapping so many people in poverty, and that's the Medicaid program. And because the Medicaid program, it's got this huge welfare cliff. You either get a hundred percent or you get zero. Mm. And so people who are in this situation where they just need a little bit of help to get by, they go to the welfare office and say, can I get a little bit of help? And they say, sorry, you don't qualify, but if you quit your job, we can sign you up tomorrow. Oh, and that's pushing people into the system. So when we're looking at, uh, when we're looking at these broken welfare programs, and we're looking at our broken healthcare system. We have to look at Washington, D.C. as a big source of many of the problems here. Um, I've, I've been working with uh, direct primary care physicians in my state to come up with a, a, a market-based healthcare reform plan, which let's let's take that half a trillion dollars we put into Medicaid, and right now we put it in the hands of government bureaucrats, it goes to hospital bureaucrats, it goes to enrich the middlemen. Let's take that money, let's put that into HSAs for the beneficiaries that they can that they control so they can have direct relationships with their doctors again. And let's let people in the private healthcare market, let's let them save tax free in health savings accounts so we can cut out these middlemen because the middlemen are the only ones getting rich. Patients are overpaying. Doctors are overworked. The insurance companies, the hospital bureaucrats, the government bureaucrats, they got their hands out. They're forcing us to pay their tolls. They're getting rich while we're getting, we're getting screwed over. So uh, we need to tackle this. We need to take this on, uh, take the bull on by the horns. Republicans really dropped the ball on it the last several cycles. And I think that, you know, this is one issue we really have to tackle on the federal level, and that's getting back our healthcare freedom.
0: All right, well, that's a good transition because, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, you've already had a lot of success uh, at the state level with, that, with getting actual reform done, actual changes done. I think you were a big part of getting constitutional carry uh, instituted in Maine, as well, as you mentioned, uh, the right to try bill. So what kind of bills like that, uh, if you were elected to Congress, which I, we should emphasize, again, is very, very realistic uh, as lo- so long as you come out uh, of this Republican primary unscathed, or at least victorious, I guess you could be a little scathed. <laughs> but uh, uh, what kind of bills would you be able to bring to the federal level? I mean, I think I think getting something done on the state level in Maine is obviously a lot different animal than getting, you know, the entire party on your side or enough of the Congress on your side, uh, you know, for, for some kind of liberty bill in Congress. So what would your approach to that be uh, were you to be elected to Congress?
1: Well, there's a number of things I want to tackle. First of all, of course, I want to I want to uh, do whatever I can to help help pass out of the Fed and hopefully eventually end the Fed. But we got to get some more folks there <laughs> to join with Thomas Massey and Rand Paul and others to get that done. Um, there's a particular bill that Senator Rand Paul has proposed in the Senate. Currently, it doesn't even have a sponsor in the House, uh, but, it's, but it's a significant bill, one, something that I don't think gets, it gets enough um, attention. It's something called the RAINS Act. Because right now, one of, the, one of the problems that we have in Washington is we have these unelected bureaucracies. We never voted for them. We never elected them. And yet they seem to have more power over our day-to-day lives than even our elected officials do. And um, so, for example, in Maine, our lobster industry is under attack. This unelected federal government agency has said that we have to cut our lobster lines in half, uh, which would decimate this 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 Maine industry. We have no say in it. We didn't vote for these people. They're just telling us how it is. The RAINS Act would require that for every re- uh, regulation proposed by these these unelected agencies, if it negatively affects the American economy by more than a million, uh, um, uh, uh, by more than several million dollars, that Congress needs to vote on it. Um, It needs to be, um, uh, Congress has to approve it before it can go into effect. You know, this was the whole idea that we were supposed to have government of the people by the people for the people. And yet we have regulation without representation effectively. So we got to rein in these out of control government agencies and we got to restore our voice in this process. Uh, that's one thing I want to tackle. I've already talked about health care reform, which is a big, big priority we need to tackle. Uh, and we've talked about the wars a bit. I'll tell you, this is, for me, the foreign policy has always been the biggest issue, because it was the issue, frankly, that I felt the most betrayed upon, <laughs> betrayed when I realized how much we'd been lied to yeah. uh, during the lead up into the war in Iraq and everything that's that's gone. I think
0: same. that was a wake up moment for, for many people uh, coming into these ideas.
1: Yeah. And it was, i tell you, that was the thing that was the hardest thing for me to let go of when I was transforming from a neocon into a more liberty minded person. Um, because it, it, it was so much a part of the Republican identity for, for so many years. Uh, and it was such a lie and we've destabilized the region. Millions of people have died. Uh, our, our soldiers have been thrown into these impossible situations. I'll tell you a story from, um, a good friend of mine who was a veteran in Iraq, and he tells me this story. When he was, he was there on the ground, they were going door to door. They were going door to door and uh, co- collecting weapons and looking for terrorists or what have you. And he knocks on this door, and no one answers. And he knocks again, and no one answers. And so he shoots the door open. Jeez. What he didn't know is there was a little girl who was coming to the door ready to come in to answer the door oh my god and he and so she she she's dead wow now he couldn't have known that it's not his fault he, he was put in that situation He's following his polit- protocol right and and he has to live with that and not to mention the family that lost their little girl they have to live with that and this is the situation that the politicians in washington dc are putting our soldiers in every single day for the last two decades and they don't even have the courage to vote on these wars or to provide for us a reason why they continue 18 years in afghanistan the longest war in american history our youngest soldiers there are younger than the war itself it's time to bring them home and that's something that from a, the bully pulpit of this seat in congress i can be a loud voice for our soldiers and our veterans who say it's time to come home and, and that's going to be one of my number one priorities.
0: So would you take a, a little bit of a Ron Paul approach in that you might propose bills or get up there uh, to talk about an issue that you might know you're not going to get votes on, you're not you're not going to get, you're probably not going to end the war tomorrow, but would you put yourself in whatever positions you could to try to be a voice for liberty on these ideas and just get the conversation at least moving uh, somewhat and in, in, in a more liberty, liberty direction?
1: Uh, you know, a- a- absolutely. You know, the the value of a congressional seat is not just oh, we've got someone who can vote the right way or not just someone who can put bills in. I mean, those are valuable things, of course. The value, but the real value is the bully pulpit. We can look at, let's look at like what Ron Paul did with his, with his seat. Or on the other side, we can look at what like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is doing with her seat in Congress. Um, she's using the bully pulpit to spread socialism, sadly. <laughs> and, and sadly, uh, there are too many folks in, in my generation, um, you know, millennial uh, who are receptive to that. But we've also seen that many young people in our generation are are receptive to the freedom message, the message that Ron Paul and Rand Paul have carried for, for so many years. And if we're not going to lose this next generation, this next generation will one day be running this country. If we're not going to lose them to socialism, we need leaders in Congress willing to use the bully pulpit to advocate an alternative message, the message of freedom. That's what I intend to do with this seat in Congress, not just to be a reliable vote for freedom and liberty, not just to propose good bills when I'm a- able to, but to really stand up every day and use the bully pulpit to spread the message, to, to, to bring new people into our movement, uh, just as Ron Paul has done, just as Rand Paul has done, Thomas Massey has done. I intend to do that every day that I'm there.
0: You know, another one of the the very few uh, sort of libertarian leaning or whatever you want to define it as congressman, liberty type congressman is this guy. uh, You may have heard of him named Justin Amash, and uh, he recently decided to leave the party and and become an independent. And and I'm not going to ask you to comment on his decision on on that. You can if you want to. But I'm more just curious uh, if you you kind of did allude to this earlier in the show. uh, If you were to be elected as a Republican, but you came to find the conditions in the in the Republican Party intolerable, uh, could you foresee an event? I don't want to get you in trouble with your party here. But could you foresee a possible situation where you, too, may, might decide, you know, the, the the Republican Party is no longer a home of liberty that where I can advance these ideas and consider either maybe joining the Libertarian Party or becoming an independent or, or maybe something I can't even think of right now? But uh, is that a situation you could ever see playing out uh, depending on the circumstances?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say that it's impossible, but I would say it's unlikely. I mean, I mean, Ron Paul was still able to, even in the Bush years, <laughs> was able to use the, his position in the Republican Party to advocate for the ideas. And I think that he was more effective, even in the Bush years, in that position, uh, as a Republican than he was when he tried to run as a libertarian party, party candidate for president, you know? So, uh, as for Justin Amash, I will say I have tremendous respect for Justin Amash. I, I know him personally. I respect him personally. I, his decision kind of befuddles me a little bit, to be honest, because it seems like his, um, uh, his decision on the whole Mueller investigation requires believing the deep state. <laughs> and I think as liberty minded people, we're supposed to be really skeptical of these, of these um, uh, these, these agencies right. like the CIA and the FBI. So again, I say this with much respect for Justin Amash. I just, I disagree with him on that particular issue. And I think uh, it it, uh, that, it befuddles me a little bit. And I think the sad result is that I think it's going to be difficult for him to keep his seat in Congress. I think that, there's going to be a Republican running, a Democrat running, uh, and and I hope that he manages to keep his seat. But I worry that as an independent, he's going to lose that seat, and I think that will be a great loss for the liberty movement if he's not there in Congress, you know, uh, there, there with me and, and, and Thomas Massey advocating for the cause of liberty
0: well i suppose uh, hindsight in a, a year or two from now will uh, will tell us the whether that was a smart decision or not <laughs> uh yeah. one more thing eric uh, i know that in your last uh senate run you were formally endorsed by both ron paul and Rand paul have you received their official endorsement for this congressional run or have you had contact with them about mm-hmm. it yet what, what's the scenario there because obviously those are those are voices you'd love to attach to yourself
1: yeah well i've been endorsed by ron paul in every every race i've run uh Rand paul as well and um I, I have not formally uh, gotten their endorsements yet for this campaign though, though I know that Rand, Rand has been offering help and support. Uh, Thomas Massey has been offering help and support. Uh, and, and so while I don't have these uh, for this campaign yet, formally they've been, they've been very, very supportive and very helpful. So I know that they're 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 on our team.
0: All right, Eric. Well, I want to give you the chance right now to make a final pitch because, as I mentioned before, uh, there are many libertarians who have very different views about politics. Uh, some people don't believe you should be involved in the in the two main parties at all. You should only you know participate with the Libertarian Party. Other libertarians might think that you know participation in politics at all is just a bad idea. Uh, so I want you now to make a pitch not to only the normal voting libertarians that are already out there that might participate in you know, a regular election, but perhaps uh, even the people that don't normally vote or the people that are currently maybe big L libertarians that they, they really want to stick to the libertarian party. Why should all of those people give a chance to the Eric Breaky campaign and consider tossing you support regardless of where they live because this is, you know, for a federal office?
1: Well, thank you. and I, And I appreciate it because, of course, we as a liberty movement are powerful when we concentrate our resources and we work together. That's how we made the Ron Paul movement happen in 2012. And of course, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Ron Paul. I've just, When Ron Paul retired from Congress and he passed the torch of liberty on to all of us and said, go and run with it, that's what I've been doing since day one from running it for state Senate, passing constitutional carry, welfare reform, right to try, advocating for liberty every day, running for U.S. Senate, now running for Congress. This is a big opportunity. This is the best opportunity that liberty-minded people have had to get a champion of liberty in Congress since we got Thomas Massey elected in 2012. If you think that it is valuable to have people in Congress using the bully pulpit to spread the message and spread the ideas of liberty and building our movement so that one day we, that, that Ron Paul revolution that we built will come to fruition again, then you can invest in our campaign $5, $10, $25, $50, 100 whatever you're able to afford. You can do that at ericbrakey.com slash donate, and I appreciate it very much. This is a big opportunity And Mark, I really appreciate you having me on the Lions of Liberty today.
0: Sure thing, Eric. And I I know that I don't need to tell you to keep up the great work and keep on roaring because you got a campaign. So you're going to be roaring a lot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot, Eric. Best of luck. Thank you, Mark. Take
0: care. (laughs) All right, my Liberty kitties. It was a great time roaring once again with Eric Brakey. Certainly a campaign to watch because there are just not that many Libertarian voices that have the national stage. Uh, But of course, the Libertarian Party will also be seeking to find a voice to hopefully get some of that national stage in 2020. As I mentioned at the top of the show, you can join through our link, our affiliate link at lp.org slash Lions of Liberty. We get a little kickback for any signups through there. And uh, myself and Brian are actually participating in an event for the Libertarian Party of Los Angeles out here. We're putting our time where our mouth is because uh, I do think it's important to be involved, uh, especially uh, when it comes to your local level and and just meeting other libertarians out there. So we've been a little bit involved uh, with a Libertarian Party out here in Los Angeles County. Angela McArdle does a great job uh, putting together events and just doing so much organizing and fundraising uh, out here in Los Angeles, which as you can imagine is an uphill battle uh, in many, many ways. But we will be doing this on November 15th. November 15th, 2019. This will be in Huntington Beach a little bit of a hike for me and Brian and I say that somewhat snarkily it's not actually far but with LA traffic on a Friday eh, it's gonna feel a little far but we are dedicated to the cause so we will be down there uh, giving a little talk probably on the subject of how to talk to your progressive friends about liberty because the fact is uh, everybody out here in California has progressive friends that is a fact so uh, if you want to talk to them about liberty and learn how get some pointers come on out to this event this is the rockin' Liberty fundraiser. And uh, not only does it feature myself and Brian uh, recording, we'll probably be recording that little talk uh, for a future podcast, but it will also feature a whole bunch of punk bands. Uh, to be honest with you, I have not seen any of them before. So I can't really tell you honestly that they're great, but I feel like they're great because they're supporting a libertarian cause. And we want to support libertarian bands out there that are willing to support us and are willing to support our ideas. So those bands are called 390 Carpet, Wrecked, and the Whining Pussies. But in addition, there's going to be somebody else there that you have all heard of by this point. He is uh, Adam Kokesh libertarian rabble rouser author of the book freedom he's been on my show as well as on felony friday and he is also running for the libertarian party's presidential nomination he'll be the keynote speaker at this event so again this is november 15th i have shared this event in the lions of liberty forum of course you can find that on facebook as our public forum just type lions of liberty forum and uh, we'll get you right in there real quick but this event is going to be at surf dogs sports grill in huntington beach november 15th 2019 at 7 30 and we are going on uh, very close to the beginning so get there early get there early and get sauced up because I promise you, we sound a lot better and we're a lot more entertaining when you've put a few back first. And uh, uh, So do uh, I think the best way to find it is to probably find their Facebook page. That's the Libertarian Party of Los Angeles County and if you still need help finding it, just drop me an email. Mark, M-A-R-C at lionsofliberty.com and we'll get you all set up there. Uh, Of course, this podcast is not just me on Mondays. It is the world's greatest and some would say the world's first Libertarian Variety Show. It features myself every single Monday on the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast where I I've been hosting interviews, roundtables, debates, and all sorts of shenanigans and high for over six years now. And then on Wednesdays, we have Brian McWilliams with his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land. While John Odie Odermatt wraps things up every Friday with his hard-hitting and extremely inspiring look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. By the way, congratulations to John, who just hit 200 episodes a felony Friday, man. I couldn't even imagine myself getting to that level at one point, and now uh, to see Brian and John both spring off into their own projects and to be hitting these milestones—the milestones that I never knew I would hit myself uh, years ago—is just really amazing to see. So, uh, congrats, congrats to John for doing a great job, not never missing a single week, despite uh, you know many, many behind-the-scenes technical difficulties that I I won't reveal right here. But let's just say any podcaster knows a lot of stuff goes wrong, but we managed to show up every single. Week three times a week, absolutely for free. That's why it's very important that you hit that subscribe button. No matter how you listen, I listen on Overcast, but uh, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, these are all popular ways you can find us on YouTube as well. And if getting this show for free just doesn't work for you, you can also pay for it. You can pay for it by joining our Lions of Liberty Pride on Patreon. And uh, we don't just ask for your money; we give you a ton, a ton. I tell you of bonus content, including live streams of a whole bunch of our shows, including last week's Halloween Spectacular on Electric Liberty Land. That was, of course, a absolutely ridiculous and uproarious time, as it always is. I don't know why we keep having weird dreams every every Halloween uh, and why Bill Weld always seems to make appearances, but nonetheless, uh, be sure to go click back, check out last week's Electric Liberty Land if you missed that, because uh, it is just a ridiculous, ridiculous fun time like we do like to have here, but that show was live streamed completely unedited to our Patreon supporters and you can now join and see those live streams for as little as $2 a month. That doesn't get you access to everything. It doesn't get you access to all the bonus content we do, but you do get access to the live streams at that level. So I think that alone is is well worth dipping your old toe in the Lions of Liberty water, the water of our little Liberty kiddie pool in our lion's den. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore, so it's probably time to wrap up the show. Don't forget, of course, to tune in to Brian this Wednesday on Electric Liberty Land and to John on Friday with Felony Friday and Until next week, kids, live
1: long
0: and live free.